0: Let's pray and ask God to meet us in the word this morning. Lord, you know I'm excited about this series that you've uh, led us to do this Sunday and next Sunday on your promises about money, your promises for when we're going through financial downturns and hard times. I pray that every one of us here this morning would be profoundly strengthened in faith and encouraged in what you promised to do for us as we're trusting Jesus financially, what you promised to do for us. So I prayed you'd come, help me, give me wisdom, give me clarity of mind and, and fullness of heart in love for you and, and love for, for all of us here. Come and do your work, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so it's clear, right? We're in a financial slowdown. Anybody need persuading of that? Just as an experiment, I thought, okay, I'll go look at uh, Google News Friday morning. I'll check out uh, San Jose Mercury News Friday morning. So here's the headlines They were there Friday morning, okay? Agilent is laying off 2,700 people. That was news as of Friday morning. Fairchild Semiconductor closing two factories. Google laying off 200 more people as of Friday morning. Uh, big old cable TV company Charter Communications is filing bankruptcy. Uh, see Florida's unemployment rate has doubled in the last year and house prices are down over 40%. That was just like Friday. Okay. One day's headlines. And if you're, you know, listening to the news or, you know, CNN or, or reading the paper, so the, the financial pundits, they're not arguing anymore as to whether we're in a recession. Now, now the only real question is how deep and how long it's going to go. Right. And it's not just, you know, theory. It's, you know, we're feeling it close to home here. Uh, you know, Dave Strauss runs a, con- a cement contracting company, very slow times. Uh, Doug Walker, Halstead Drywall, slow times. Uh, Lori Harnden, right, program with, uh, at Evergreen and San Jose City College, maybe shut down because of budget cuts. Some of you have been laid off. Some of you have had salary reductions. I mean, everybody's taken a hit in their house equity or in their, you know, their, their 401k or whatever it is. So, there's no question that we're in a, an economic slowdown big old downturn going on here. And so the question that I want to raise today and next Sunday is, what does Jesus promise to do for his followers during times of financial, economic hardship? What does he promise to do? Okay, we know that he promises through the cross as we're trusting him to forgive us for our sins, to clothe us with his gift of perfect righteousness. So we're reconciled to God. He loves us. He's passionate to do us good. We know that he has broken the power of sin in our hearts, started a renovation project, which will cause us to be increasingly growing in righteousness. He's He's going to resurrect us from the dead like we saw last week. We know all of those things. But what does Jesus really concretely promise to do for us when we face financial difficulties? Hardships. That's what I want us to focus on today and next Sunday. And the passage I want us to look at is Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6. So let's go ahead and turn there. And if you don't have a Bible with you, uh, we're, we want to pass one out so that you can turn to this passage. I want you all to have a copy of the Bible in front of you. The Bible is the most important words you're going to be connecting with this morning. And so I want you to turn to Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6, which is page 1009 in the Bibles that we're passing out here, 1009, way back to the right, Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. Now let me give you a little bit of background into the book of Hebrews, and so you'll see why this passage is so relevant. Uh, the, the letter to the Hebrews was written to some followers of Jesus around 65 AD, so 35 years after Jesus died, rose again, and ascended into heaven. And it's written to a group of believers who are going through very hard times. Persecution and financial hardships. In fact, you can see the, the kind of financial hardships many of them are going through. In chapter 10, verse 34, just like a page or two back to the left, look at what they faced. Here's what happened. I'll set the stage for this verse. Some of them, some of their, their, uh, their, their church community had been thrown into prison for being followers of Jesus. And prisons in those days did not provide food or clothing or blankets or bedding. So what did these believers do? Look at Hebrews chapter 13 verse, I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter 10 verse 34. Look at how they responded to their brothers and sisters who were in prison. Verse 34. For you had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. So some of their fellow believers thrown into prison, no food, no shelter. I mean, no food, no clothing, no bedding. The brothers and sisters went to them in prison. And the reason that's so huge is that if you're arrested for being a Christian and then somebody else goes to you to help help you, you're identifying yourself as being a Christian. So you're going to be potentially in trouble as well. And that's what happens. Um, the, the the public had got word of these Christians providing food, shelter, and they ended up plundering their property. Took their stuff, ransacked their homes, burned down their homes in some cases. So many of these believers in this church that, Paul, that the author of Hebrews is writing to are suffering financial loss. They've just taken a big old hit economically. So with that in mind, look at what the author says to them in Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. Powerful passage, two verses, Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. He says, Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he, God, has said, I will never Leave you, nor forsake you, so we can confidently say, The Lord is my helper; I will not fear what can man do to me? Now This is a whole different perspective in these two verses on financial difficulties, financial hard times and and a whole different perspective than you 'd get like from what well, 's CNN or CNBC. And so I want to dig into this very different perspective on how we view financial hardship. So the first question I want to raise is who is ultimately behind the financial downturns, the financial difficulties, the financial hardships that we face? Who's ultimately behind it? And it's really easy for us to focus on people. And you read the paper, you hear the guys talking on the business sta- stations, it's all a matter of somebody did this, who did this, so we could blame, like, Alan Greenspan, maybe he held rates down for too many years, we could blame the bankers for making all those, making all those toxic loans, we could blame the hedge funds for investing in, you know, derivatives and all those uh, toxic loans, I mean, we could blame all kinds of people, okay, we could think it's, it's people who's ultimately behind this, but the author of Hebrews would say no, it's not It's not people who are ultimately behind this. He says it's God who's ultimately behind this. Okay, take a look at verse 6. Kind of a stunning thing he says. So we confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Now think about that question. It's easy just to gloss over statements in the Bible. Think about that. What can man do to me? The author of Hebrews is writing to people who've just had their property plundered by people. What can people do to me? Lots. Lots. My house has been burned down, right? My stuff's all been plundered or ransacked. So what's he saying when he says, what can people do to me? And, and we might answer, lots. Like, they laid me off. Okay? They cut my salary. All right? They've screwed up my home equity or whatever it might be. My 401K's gone or whatever it might be, right? So people can do lots, right? And the author of Hebrews knows that. He knows that. Okay? But here's what he's saying. What he's saying is that while man can do things to you, yes, man can't do anything to you that God doesn't ultimately allow. God is in control. What can man do to me? Only what wise, loving, good, sovereign, powerful God allows. No accidents, no coincidences, God is in control. Now, to see an even more clear verse than that, look at Amos chapter 3, verse 6. This is way back to the left. It'd be page 675 in the Bibles that we passed out. Amos is a prophet. And he writes an amazing, powerful verse I've been working on memorizing and just mulling over. Amos chapter 3, verse 6. Okay, that's, that's I was going to say it's halfway, no, it's not halfway, it's about, a, about two-thirds to the right in your Bible. Amos chapter 3, verse 6. Listen to what Amos writes. He says, is a trumpet blown in a city and the people are not afraid? Now, that might not make any sense to you, okay? Trump to blow the city, you'd tell them to be quiet, all right? But, but back in that culture, if a trumpet was blown, that was a warning that invaders are coming, man the walls, battle stations, get your shield and sword, okay? So if you heard a trumpet blowing in the city, okay, you'd think, time to go to war, trouble. So that's what Amos is saying, is a trumpet blown in a city and the people are not afraid? We know that the enemy's coming. And then this next line, does disaster come to a city unless the Lord has done it? Now just let that hit you and impact you. Problems, disasters, trials, hardships, economic downturns are not out from under God's control. God's ultimately behind them. He purposefully allows them for all kinds of purposes. So what's happening in This country right now in 2009, what's happening globally with the economic downturn, God is not wringing his hands saying, we should have known this was going to happen or something like that. God has purposefully allowed this for many reasons. I mean, you can think of, he does this to awaken us to the frailty of money. He does this to awaken us to the stability of Jesus who's unchanging through this. He allows things like this so that we have a chance to show care and compassion and generosity to people who are in need, both here in Mercy Hill and and our neighbors and people in the city and people around the world. He does this to to shake people up who aren't walking with Jesus so they're thinking, maybe money isn't what I should be relying on for my life. Maybe there's something else I should be relying on for my life. So there's, there's lots of reasons why God purposefully Lovingly, wisely, allows things like this to happen. So the point I want you to to feel is that behind Greenspan and Timothy Geithner and Ben Bernanke and the Fed and Wall Street and the bankers and the hedge funds is God ruling over everything, including this economic downturn. So I want you to, to, to feel this. Your job is not ultimately in your boss's hands. It's in God's hands. Feel that. That you are not at the whim of what your boss does. Your boss is under God's ultimate control. So your employment, employment numbers, unemployment's going up, your employment is not ultimately in the fed's hands. It's in God's hands. Okay? Your home equity, your ability to refinance is not ultimately in Freddie Mac or Fannie Mae. It's in, it's in God's hands. Your salary level, recent cuts and know many of you have taken, it's, this is ultimately in God's hands. Now the reason I want to stress that is that one of the most important steps you can take right now during this economic difficulty, some of you have taken big old hits, probably most all of you in some way, others of you may still have your jobs, but we can feel fearful or insecure One of the most important things we can do is to look to God through Jesus, to humble ourselves before him and to say, I trust you. You are in control. This is about you and your love and your wisdom and your goodness. I trust you. You're in sovereign control here. Now I'm not saying that maybe you know, we need to investigate like what happened and there may be some blame that needs to be put somewhere and, and maybe we need to think through this stuff, maybe we, we've been too greedy, whatever. Those questions can be raised, should be raised, but that's not the biggest focus we should have. The main concern we should have is, God, I humble myself before you and I trust you. I, I thought of an illustration of when I experienced something kind of like that. Um, I was in real estate for early years of this church, I think most of you know that, to pay the bills as the church was getting started. And one afternoon, I got a, a terrible phone call. Um, I'd been working with a seller, trying to sell his house. He really needed to sell, It's a slow time of the market, and uh, needed to sell very badly, and so we'd been working hard, getting on the market, networking, marketing, trying to make connections with other buyers and other agents. And and we and a buyer came in who wrote an offer and we negotiated and and, and got a deal so the seller was happy the buyer was happy it's all come together Um, inspections were all done escrow was moving along smoothly it's going to close escrow in a week and uh, you know the buyer needed or the seller needed to sell this house needed the money and I and I needed the commission really badly too Uh, seller needed to sell more than I needed the commission but it was close okay and uh, and then this phone call came in. And the other agent was on the line, and she said, "I'm so sorry, but uh, the bank turned down the buyer for the loan. I guess you will need to find another buyer." And that was very bad. That was a very bad thing, as far as the agent was concerned. The deal was over. And and I remember, I mean, you get these phone calls in real estate where your stomach just sinks. I remember hanging up the phone, and I headed out to the, there's a creek near our house where I walk and pray. And God gave me grace not to get angry at the agent or at the buyer. Or whatever, the lender. But just to say, Lord, ultimately, you have allowed this to take place. This is no surprise to you. You're in control. You could have stopped this, or you allowed this to take place. This is this is you. You're wise. You love me through Jesus Christ. You are for my good. I don't know why you're doing this, but help me to trust you. And such peace came. I'm not the victim of lenders or agents or buyers or whatever, such peace came. And so that's the most important step that you can take is to realize that ultimately behind everything that's going on is God. Don't understand all the reasons why he does what he does, but we know that he's good. We know that he's sovereign. We know that he loves us. And so we don't need to know all the reasons why. That's like above our pay scale, okay? We just trust him. We trust him. I don't understand, but that's not my job. My job is to trust you. So start there. And then, when you come to God and you say, okay, things are tough, income's lower, expenses are higher, jobs are lost, salaries are cut, what does God say to us at those times? What does he say to us during financial difficulties? There's, there's two words here in Hebrews 13, 5 and 6, which he says to us. He says, be content, with the present, and he says, be confident about the future. Look at this in verses 5 and 6. Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. Underline those words. Be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently, there's the confidence about the future. Say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear what can man do to me. Now I wanted to link this verse back with Hebrews 10:34 so that you can feel how shocking this could have sounded to those believers who had just had their property stolen, their homes ransacked, their homes destroyed. Can you feel that? God is calling them, through these verses, to be content with what they have and to be confident about the future. And that's what God would say to you right now, whatever you're struggling with financially. Be content with where you are now. Be content and be confident for the future. Now, don't misunderstand contentment, okay? Being content doesn't mean... I can stop looking for work. I, I don't need to worry about you know keeping a budget, right? But that's not what contentment means. Here's what being content means. It means having your heart feel completely satisfied. So you don't need anything else to be at peace, right? That's con- what's the opposite of contentment? Yeah, discontentment. Okay, you're right. <laughs> You're feeling empty. Okay, that was an easy one, right? I gave you that one for free. Uh, it's, it's when you, you think there's something else that you need. I've got, I've got to get this in order to be at peace, in order to be full. Contentment means I have everything I need to feel at peace and to feel full. That's what God would tell you. Be content with what you have and be confident About the future. What does it mean to be confident? It means you look into the future and the future's good. It means you you have no fear or worries about the future. As you look ahead, the scenarios are good. They're good. Look at the future. Oh, look at that future. It's good. Not, ah, what's going to happen? What if this? Confidence means future's good. So this is what God would say to you as you're in a difficult time financially. Be content with what you have and be confident about the future. Okay, now. Some of you, you, you might be thinking, get real. I've lost my job. I've lost my job, okay? Be content with what with what I have. Be, be, be content with where things are right now. Be I mean, how's that possible? I need a job. I'll be content once I get a job. Thank you, okay? And being confident about the future, unemployment rates are going up and I don't have money coming in or less money coming in, which is going to diminish after a while and employment's going to run out. How on earth could I possibly be content with where things are in the present and be confident about the future? How is that possible? Get real, okay? It's a good question. So let's, let's ask the author those questions of these two verses. How is it possible to be content and confident? And the reason it's possible is because of two promises that the author quotes in those verses. The first one is right there in verse 5. Be content with what you have for or because, really important word in the Bible, Here's a reason for why we can be content with what we have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's one promise. The second one is there in verse six. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. The Lord is my helper. Now, I want to talk about both of those. Let me switch the order, though. I want to start with the Lord is my helper. God is your helper. That's a quote from Psalm 118, verse six. God's your helper. It means a lot of different things. But when it comes to money, here's what it means. And this is restated all through the scriptures. It means that God promises that he will provide all the money that you need to fulfill his calling in your life. God will provide all of it. All the money that you need to fulfill his calling in your life. See, here's how this works. Through Jesus... I, as a sinful man who's rebelled against God because of Jesus' death on the cross, I'm trusting Jesus, and I'm reconciled to God. God is now my father. He's my father. And because he's my father, because he's your father through Jesus, through trusting Jesus, he is responsible for your finances. He's responsible, ultimately, for your finances. God is your father, and he says, I am going to take care of your finances. I'm going to provide all the money that you need in order to fulfill my calling on your life. Okay. Now that does not mean it'll fine print here. Okay. To the rest of the Bible it does not mean you can just, you know, play Warcraft all day and wait for the checks to come in the mail. Okay. It does not mean that. All right. Cause God says work. Okay. So, but what this means is this, this is huge. It means that as you work, As you send out resumes, as you work in whatever capacity you can, as you hustle, God will use your work at whatever level you can can get work or find work, he will use your efforts to provide you all the money that you need to fulfill his calling on your life. That's what God promises. Let me show you another promise. Uh, Where it's restated. Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. A little bit to the left. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Philippians 4.19. The context here is is money. The church in Philippi had just sent Paul a a large financial support gift. And they're they're not filthy rich by any means. And so Paul wants to encourage them. And look at what he says in verse 19. Memorize this verse. This would be a good one to mull over and to pray over and to ponder. Philippians 4.19. My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. My God will supply every need of yours. See, God's at work in the world. He's not like up there in heaven, like twiddling his thumbs until we all show up or something. He's working in the world. He's at work in amazing, miraculous, powerful ways, setting up job interviews for Rick Jacoby and and getting money back from the government so Raj can fly back here to get his visa. In all kinds of ways, he's working in our lives. He's at work every day. He's working in our lives, miraculously providing for our needs. So that's what it means that the Lord is my helper. Okay, so what if you've lost your job? Reality is, I don't have a job. What if you've lost your job? God will supply for all of your needs. He will. Well, what if, what if like the unemployment numbers keep going up? God will supply all of your needs. God is God. We're talking about God here. Powerful, loving, wise, in control of everything. What if your industry is being shut down? God will supply for all of your needs. I thought of a time when I was sort of unemployed. This is 1985. It was kind of a voluntary thing, in a sense. But I, I, I was working part-time at a church. They weren't able to pay me, so I had no income coming in. Um, it was my own choice. Call that whatever you want to, whatever. But uh, I, was, I was trying to make some money. I was, I was, trying to, uh, send, I was re- sending out resumes to... Um, Public relations firms, I thought maybe I could get hired doing public relations writing. I was writing some children's ministry curriculum for Gospel Light, thinking maybe they'd hire me on a freelance basis, you know, so I was doing what I could do, working part-time at this church, and doing this, and doing this, and, and there was no income coming in, okay? No income coming in. And uh, so I was kind of technically unemployed, but this passage says, the Lord is my helper, and that's exactly what, what I experienced. What Jan and I experienced at that time, he provided all the money we needed to fulfill his calling. And part of that calling was don't spend much money, okay? Because it wasn't a lot, all right. But it was it was what we needed. We spent a lot of time at the public library. You know, we walked to the beach. You know, we, this is down in Southern California, down in Newport Beach area. Um, but we we were given free housing. This was cool in a in a townhouse. Very very nice townhouse that a very wealthy couple in the church were trying to sell and they let us live there while they were trying to sell it so that was we had free housing Um, there was friends in other cities who just like were moved of God to write us checks and put them in the mail I mean really I wasn't playing Warcraft either these checks just showed up okay just came Um, people in the church would walk up and hand us an envelope with money in it so there was this, this trickle which was enough for us to live on but then I remember we got the phone call that the townhouse had sold and so the free housing was over. And I remember with Jan at this apartment complex manager's office signing a six-month lease for an apartment down there, and we had no idea where that money was going to come from. Most amazing thing. But then you know what the Lord did? The Lord is my helper. He will be your helper. I forget the exact time sequence. It was a, it was a couple weeks later, maybe a week later, but the church said, we can start paying you now. I want you to come on full time. So the point is, the Lord Is your helper. He will provide everything that you need. As you're trusting Jesus, as you've received Him into your life as your Savior, He's your Lord, He's your heart satisfying treasure, as you're walking with Jesus, trusting Jesus, God the Father will miraculously, faithfully provide everything that you need to fulfill the calling that He has in your life. He's your Father. He's responsible for your finances, ultimately. That's what he promises in his word. So that's why you can feel confident. Because as you look ahead to the future, you will have all the money that you need at every turn of the road, at every step of the way to fulfill the calling that God has for you. Thursday morning, I woke up at 4, 4.30. It's a vulnerable time for me. Everything looks bleak at 4, 4.30. And... um, I don't know. I started thinking about my dad, who's had a lot of medical things going on lately, and started thinking about you know insurance and about money, and I just had this scenario in my mind about how I'm going to be this sick invalid and no medical insurance, and, and it's going to be a terrible thing. And this is like at four four thirty in the morning. Okay, so just you're, so that's that's like not being confident. Okay, that's what God says. Don't God says be confident about the future. I don't know what the future holds health-wise, medical-wise, but I, I do know this based on God's Word, and that is God will provide every cent I need and you need to fulfill whatever His calling is on your life. He will. He will. So be confident about the future. Okay, now what about this contempt thing? This is really interesting. Look back at Hebrews 13. Notice... Exactly what he says. Be content with what you have. I could be really content thinking about maybe what he's going to give me, right? That's not what he says. Did you catch that? Be content with what you have. Not with what you're going to get in the future, with what you have now. So the people he's writing to have just taken hits financially. You may have no job, no income, no savings, and yet God calls you to be content with no job, no income, and no savings. Now, don't misunderstand what that means. It doesn't mean that you, again, I've said this a couple times, doesn't mean that you just kind of kick back and just say, cool, wait for the checks to arrive. Now, he would tell you to, to move out and hustle, and work, and do, you know, be diligent, plan, do what you can do. That's what he would tell you to do. But the point is that you can do all of that while your heart is content, knowing that he's going to provide everything that I need, and I'm content with what I have. Now, how can I be content with what I have when I don't have a job? How can I be content with what I have when my property's been plundered? Hebrews 10:34. it's because of the promise. Be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So listen very carefully, I mean this, this is absolutely true. You may not have a job, but you have Jesus. You may not have the retirement account you once had, but you have Jesus. And those of you who know and love Jesus know what that means. Because to have the living Jesus in your life fills you and satisfies you so you are content, whatever your circumstances are, to have him and his love and his strength and his presence and his power and his faithfulness filling your heart, you are content no matter what's going on. Look back at Psalm chapter 4. This is page 449 in the Bible just passed out. Psalm 4, verses 6 and 7. Last night, it was about 9.30. I'd I'd done all the preparation I thought I needed to do, and I was going to, I opened up my John Owen book called The Glory of Christ. He wrote this in the 1600s, because I thought I wanted to read a couple of paragraphs just to get my heart fired up with who Jesus is, the glory of Christ. and, And he mentions in this first paragraph, Psalm 4, 6, and 7. Look at this. It's a powerful picture of the kind of contentment that Hebrews is talking about us to, or calling us to have. Psalm 4, 6, and 7. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. Now get this next line. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. Okay? You might be thinking, I would be really happy if my grain and my wine would abound. Right? When you're financially hurting, it's really easy to think, what will make me happy is to not be financially hurting. I need more grain. I need more wine. Then I'd be happy. Listen, you know that won't make you happy. Listen, when you had the job, did that job make you content? No. It didn't, because jobs can't make you content. Money can't make you content. Okay, yeah, yeah. If you all of a sudden got a job, you'd be really happy for a little while, and then it would become a job. Right? Okay? If you all of a sudden, like, won the lottery, you'd be, like, really, really happy for a couple of months, and then it'd become, it'd be a pain. I read that. <laughs> no, no, no. I really would. I promise you. Um, you've experienced that. You, you get a raise. It's awesome, right? For how long? How long? And, until what? Until you start to spend too much, and then you need another raise. Okay, so that, that's the point. You know, jobs and money does not make you content. Because when you had it, you weren't. What makes you content? You have put more joy in me than when their grain and new wine abound. Where does that joy come from? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. It's when you know Jesus and his presence in your life satisfies your heart fully. So if you have a lot or you have a little, it doesn't make any difference because that's not where your joy depends. You know the living Jesus. Okay, so back to Newport Beach, 1985. Um, just one more little story about that. That time when I was I was uh, unemployed, I mean, it, 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 it hit me because there's no check coming in. Uh, there's no, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not providing for Jan and me. Um, I started to feel, you know, inferior, second class. My manhood was questioned, all this kind of stuff. Right? I just kind of sort to feel lousy, really lousy. It, was, it, was, it wasn't a very long period. Some of you have experienced much more difficult times than that. I and mean, also we didn't, didn't have much money. I mean we you know we we couldn't spend money on anything, except for food, you know, and we just didn't have, didn't have any money. Gas, food, insurance, that kind of stuff. But during those times, I remember many, many times in the in kind of the stripped down simplicity of that of calling upon Jesus and talking to him and having his love so fill my heart that I was I was good to go. I was content. I was strong in him. I was be content with what you have you don't need anything to change for you financially to be absolutely content because you have Jesus Christ oh i want you to feel that i want you to feel that and you'll you'll believe that when you when you do feel it when you experience that you do not need a job to be content best news i could tell you you don't you don't need more money to be content Work on getting a job, okay? And budget your money well and be responsible and plan, but those things will not make you be content. You do not need to put off contentment until change happens. You can be content now in Jesus Christ. So today, this afternoon, set aside some time and come before Jesus and say, you are ultimately behind this that's happening. I humble myself before you and I say yes to you. What are you saying? What are you doing? Give me your wisdom. Satisfy my heart with yourself. You are all I need help me. And I promise you, if you're earnest and sincere, he will so meet you, you will emerge from that time strong, content, empowered. You'll be confident about the future and content in the present. And then, and then in your neighborhood, as you share with people who know your situation, as you're generous, even though you don't have much, but you can care for other people, your neighbors will see Jesus in you. Jesus in you that's what we're called to do, is to show and share Jesus with people who don't know him. So that's what I want to call you to do. Be content with what you have because he will never leave you or forsake you. You don't have a lot, but be content with where you are because of what you do have, him, who will never leave you or forsake you. And then be confident about the future because the Lord is your helper. You will see him miraculously work In job situations, financial situations, he will always provide every cent that you need to fulfill whatever calling he has in your life. Okay, let's stand together. I want to pray this over us and ask the Lord to come to work. I pray, Lord, that you would do something powerful in each of our hearts this week that we would have times of coming before you and humbling ourselves before you, trusting you for our jobs, our income, our expenses, our salary reductions, our pensions, our retirements. We would trust you, Lord. We would see you as ultimately behind it all, that we would trust you. And I pray that as we seek your face, you would shine the light of your countenance upon us. You would show us your presence and satisfy our hearts with your love so that we would be absolutely filled and satisfied even before any change takes place. We would be content in you. Put that upon us, Lord, I pray for the glory of your name.